everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right, this week we are talking to Hirsch Gardner, who is the drummer for an incredible uh, late 70s, early 80s rock band called New England. Now, you may or may not know them. They didn't last very long, and they should have. But if you do, it might be through their association with KISS. They were managed by Bill Coin. They uh, opened a lot of shows for KISS. Paul Stanley produced their first album. They don't actually sound that much like KISS. To me, they sound a lot more like ELO or Queen, but excellent stuff. They put out three albums between 79 and 81. They only ever cracked the top 40 once with this song right here, Don't Ever Wanna Lose Ya, which reached number 40 in 1979. But those albums were produced by legends. I mentioned Paul, Mike Stone did the second one, and Todd Rundgren did the third. And we talk about all three of these in here. It just wasn't enough to put them over the hump, and it should have been. Anyway, they broke up, but Hirsch has been able to carve out a, a nice living for himself ever since in the music business somewhere. He's, been, he's a producer, he runs a label, he manages a music store, he puts out a solo album 13, 14 years ago called Wasteland of Broken Hearts. He's working on solo material again now. Uh, I really feel like especially the New England stuff is so worth your you're learning about, you're discovering if you don't already know it. Uh, now, this was another listener request. Michael Talker requested these guys to me. He's friends with Hirsch, had heard the show, thought Hirsch would make for a great uh, guest, and he was right. So Hirsch talked to me from his home in Boston. Uh, you know, when they were at the pinnacle of their career, 
and also when they were at the you know the, the depths of their the bottom of their career with yeah. you know albums like the elder which you know unfortunately from a commercial standpoint did not make it um and so some people look at that as uh, you know success and unsuccess so i mean i was sure. there for that one. you know i was there when uh you know i was in the office at O'Coin management when they let peter chris go uh, mm-hmm. i was they hired eric carr and got to know eric really well um I spent a lot of time with Sean Delaney, who, with Bill O'Coin and Sean Delaney, basically, you know, built Kiss from scratch, obviously, yeah. with Paul and Gene, you know, and Ace and, and Peter, you know, at the forefront. But those guys yeah. took this unknown band and made it happen. And, uh, you know, and I, I was there. I got to spend time with Sean and spoke to uh-huh. Sean. He helped me. Uh, one, you know, one interesting story with Sean, we were at a, a party at his place. Of course, you know, back then, it was like everybody in the world was at the parties. And I, was sitting, I, was sitting, I was sitting beside Peter, and uh-huh. I was chat, chatting with Sean, and he was like, man, he says, you know, you're, he paid me a really nice compliment about my drumming. He says, you're, you're great, you've got great chops. And he says, but think about this, Hirsch. He says, the kid that's going to watch you play at Madison Square Garden, in the last row, up at the very far corner of the garden, he's going to be fixed on you. And you need to impress that guy as much as you're impressing the guy in the front row, who you can see his the whites of his eyes. And, right, right. And and it was like you know your drumming style is so unique. And he says, I want you to work on that. I want you to become this. When people see you play, they don't have to see your face. They just have to see your body movement. Right. And I mean that was like that was so cool. Like a big lesson. Yeah. Well, well, that's what it was with with Sean because Sean was kind of like the guy who was who Bill, you know, gave the job. It's like, hey, uh-huh. help these guys, you know, for their stage show. You know, the, yeah. the whole Forrest Gump thing. You know, uh, you know, later on in my career with um, when New England broke up and the whole Vinnie Vincent thing happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was kind of like you know you were there at that moment in time. Um, you know, Gene. Yeah. Simmons called, uh, and Lenny Pizzi from Epic Records, who's still a dear friend of mine, um, called at the, the, in the same week and said, hey, you should check out this guy, Vinny, Vinny Cassano. He's a he's a really good guitar player. So, I mean, we hooked up with Vinny at that point. I mean, and, you know, there were just so many of these other moments wow. in when, you know, I happened to be at this spot yeah. Yeah. when things happened in rock and roll that were like... Sure. Historic, and you have to be there. Yeah, there were huge things. Another one is, is that kind of the sad story, but um, you know, with ACDC, when we played with ACDC and Journey in Texas, and uh, that was Bon Scott's. You know, we played the, the very last gig, and then Bon Scott left for England, and the band, the other guys, went back to Australia, and Bon Scott died a couple weeks later. Wow. Listen, you know, holy crap. Uh, what up? Did you know him at all? Well, we only knew him from being from on, on with him. Yeah. Uh, okay. You know, hey, how you doing? I mean, we certainly weren't best friends sure. and stuff. Okay. Uh, but still, you're there, right? You're kind of a, a fly on the wall of all these important benchmarks of rock history. You're yeah. around. That's um, interesting. Another one that was, was great, and I just remembered this a, a year ago or so. I was in New York City. Uh, it was in 79, um, and a friend of mine said, hey, let's go over to the, I think it was like the record plant or something like that, one, or power station. 
Um, you know, and I got a friend of mine as an engineer over there. So we went over the, to the studio. And this was late at night after we were like out on the, you know, partying in New York City with, you know, all the all the goodies. Sure. That <laughs> and uh-huh. um, you know, there we are at the power station, and John Lennon was recording, but he wasn't there. Oh. It was late at night, and this was the Imagine album. No way. And, and of course, a couple weeks later, you know, we, we all know what happened. Yes. Um, Oh, and and wow. so you know we were just walking around the studio and I was like, oh man, look at that Rickenbacker, you know, look at that Fender Rhodes piano, how cool, yeah. and um, you know, and, and then played by legends, and yeah, you, and you know, you're breathing the same air in the same rooms. <laughs> so it's uh, it's just been so much fun to, to know yeah. that you've been you've touched some of these folks and yeah. they've touched you, and uh, so it's been great. Good. Good. Uh, this may be a completely. This may. This may be an absolute no. But I'm wondering, was there ever a time? Because I know that you were around hanging out with Kiss, as you mentioned, when they got rid of Peter. Um, was it ever brought up to you to possibly replace Peter, or you know, tour with that as a drummer or anything like that? <laughs> That's a great question, and I've done um, done a whole bunch of interviews about this. Absolutely not. They did oh, not ask. Really? Oh, okay. But, okay. Uh, but was my name on on the list? It's it's quite possible. I was in a band, New England, obviously that was very wow. well known at that time, and and obviously Gene and Paul, you know, knew my abilities. And um, the fact is that they were actually looking for someone who did not have a name. And oh. at that point, I was in you know a very very hot band, and we were you know top sure. forty singles on the road and. I was a Ludwig and a Zildjian and Dorsey and picture all over the place. So they um, they absolutely wanted somebody who was an unknown, uh, and that wasn't me. But uh, okay. Okay. yeah, but interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah, you happened to be there right at that moment. So um, what do you think it was that? Uh, what? Why did Bill Coin want to take you guys on? And second question to that, I've always heard that. He was so focused on Kiss that all of his other bands sort of suffered. I, I, I hear that in relation to the band Stars a lot, who were a great band but couldn't get enough of his time and attention to really break it open beyond, you know, sort of cult status. Did you ever feel that way? Did you feel like he gave New England his, their, their fair due? Well, you know, probably not. Um, and I don't say that out of any malice towards Bill. Sure. Bill, he was he was a great man. Um Bill, Coin Management was a large company, and Rick Alberti was uh, Bill's second-in-command. And uh, Rick was actually the first uh, Coin person to come and see us play live in our little rehearsal studio in Braintree, Massachusetts. And he immediately called Bill and said, man, you got to see this band. A week later, Bill uh, flew up to Boston and saw the band, and then we signed Coin Management. So I think that all along... The idea was is that is that you know we would be managed by Bill O'Coin and he would be doing the big deals, but Rick would be the guy who was the responsible mm-hmm. agent, so to speak. And okay. and and Rick really tried hard to make it happen. Unfortunately, uh, I really think that the, the the Kiss guys were you know said to him, hey, you know you got to spend a little bit more time with us because look what was happening with Kiss at that time. Sure. Um, you know, they put out the four solo albums, yeah. and then they, I think it was The Elder was next. Um, 
and they were in trouble at that point. Yeah, and they, yeah. They were losing. So they, they probably gave Bill some type of an ultimatum and just said, hey, look, forget about that other band. You know, yeah, we're, yeah. we're the money makers. Spend yeah. time with us and we'll see if we can get this together. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, so i got to ask you, too, your first album, the self-titled one, so good. Um, there's a lot, and you've, I've, you've probably heard this a million times, there's a lot of, um, it calls upon ELO to me. Mm-hmm. 
we absolutely just flipped out when we when we heard Queen. They were yeah. like May, the vocal thing. Um, don't forget, New England basically has three lead singers in the band, so yeah. for us to do harmonies like Queen was not a problem, and we yeah. did. So then Paul comes along, and of course, with every band back then, every band was cutting their teeth for like four, five, six years and writing songs, then they got signed. Right. Right. They all had, all of us, Journey, Kansas, all these, we all had a backlog of songs that we'd been working on for years. And essentially, Paul came in and was uh, very influential. I mean, look, you're recording an album with friggin' Paul Stanley. He's like, the amazing fuck I mean, how right. could you, I mean, even if Paul didn't say a word and I was on the mic singing a lead, sure. how do you think that I felt with Paul Stanley behind the glass and Mike Stone, who just finished producing Bohemian Rhapsody for Queen, yeah. how did yeah. I felt about my about performing to those guys? I was a I was a friggin' rock star, man. Yeah. It's like yeah. wow, this is this is really cool. So if Paul did anything at all, it was just, you know, bringing us up to that level of being in a band that was as big as KISS, as successful right. as um as commercial as KISS, you know? And mm-hmm. so um it's funny, okay. for, for Don't Ever Want to Lose You was the big hit song. I think John Fannin reminded me of this. I, I had forgotten about this, but we had we had an arrangement of Don't Ever Want to Lose You, and there was no guitar solo. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And so Paul was like, so guys, where's the guitar solo? <laughs> this, is like a huge, this is like a hit song, and there's no guitar solo. Are you kidding yeah. me? He said, oh, man. <laughs> guitar solo window. So, I mean, isn't, isn't that part of the job of a producer? Yeah. So, Totally. Paul was, was the producer. Yeah. I was thinking how different it is now, too, when you can't even, no one wants to even listen to guitars, let alone guitar solos. And yet back in 78, 79, that was mandatory for a hit song. You know what I mean? You're going to get played I'm, on the on the radio. It's got to rock. So I'm actually, I, as I told you earlier, I'm actually in my studio right now, today. Yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm sitting at the board, and uh, I'm actually working on two songs right now, where there's absolutely no guitar solos. Really? <laughs> just, yeah, it's a verse, 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 bridge, yeah. uh, and, and then a breakdown into the chorus, and then and then we're out of there. It's still like a three and a half minute, four minute song, but sure. uh, you know, it's for this particular song and for what I'm doing, it's not necessary. It's, yeah. it's okay. Things have changed. So yeah. um, now, was I mean, you can be honest. I was was having Paul attached. Was it sort of um, was it more of like an executive producer role where he sort of oversees the project, or is he actually literally in there every day, get his, getting his hands dirty? Like you mentioned, making the guitar solo recommendation. Is he really in there? You know, moving mics yeah. around and everything. He is. Okay, so he's well, really well, he's, hands on. He's not moving mics around. That was Mike. That was Mike Stone. Okay, I'm, okay. that's what Mike I was, Mike was specifically the engineer, and of course, he, Mike was, you know one of the best engineers on the planet at yeah, that point. Right. God, he produced everybody, engineered. Yeah. But Paul was there every single session. Uh, okay. you know, hey, Hirsch, you know, you're singing a little flat there. Can you, can you uh-huh. sharpen it up a little bit for me? You know, uh, yeah, he was he was there, man. Okay. He was there. Okay. I think, you know, I mean, we had all of our arrangements together. Paul really didn't offer, like, a whole ton of information in terms of, like, changing arrangements and things like that. But that's because those songs were already... They were ready to go. Um, right. Okay. Okay. I'm just curious, you know, how his level of involvement, it sounds like he was really in there and he was committed, 
you know. Okay. He, was in, he, he was in there and he did a freaking great job. He, yeah. Well, he I mean, sure look did. at everybody who listens to that album. Paul's name's on it as producer. So, yeah. you know, whatever it is. Great album. Cool. Okay. So then, uh, so the second album comes along. Now, Mike Stone is the name that's popped up on here a couple of times. I interviewed uh, one of the guys from Shoes. He he produced the Shoes album, and then I interviewed Wally Palmer from the Romantics, and he turned basically their third album into almost like a heavy metal album. How were right. the? And then you guys work with Rungrid on the third. How are these guys' styles? I mean, Paul, I don't know enough about Mike Stone as a person, but Paul and Todd have big personalities. They're owning the room when they're in there. How were you guys kind of, you know, did you get along with these guys? What were the stylistic differences between the three? Well, I'll tell you one thing about New England. I mean, it's a love fest whenever we get together with people. We're, you know, we're, we're, really, we're really four very positive people, uh, easy to work with, and Mike Stone was an absolute gem. I mean, um, you know, rest in peace, Mike. We miss you. We love you. He was, um, he was, a, he was a great engineer. Um, worked on a, he, he worked on the Beatles albums. Mm-hmm. I mean, holy crap, I got to work with a producer that actually was in the room. Yeah. All and John. Oh, so, um, you know, and, and just his production ideas were just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, he owned the room and, you know, whatever, whatever he wanted to do with, with regard to like the, the sound, uh, of that album, he was involved. Now, Todd Rundgren, on the other hand, was a, um, a, a, a musician's musician as a producer. Mm, okay. But also, um, Chris Anderson was his um, his second in command at the studio, and Chris handled a lot of the engineering. But Paul was, I'm sorry, um, Todd was extremely capable when it came to engineering and EQing and getting sounds. I mean, okay, he, he did an amazing job. And that that third album has its own character and sound, which is quite different from the other two albums. Definitely, it's, yeah. It's much more sparse. Yes. Floating in the garden Where life is so unreal You hover in the darkness Just give it all you've got Lights, action
sounds like a Todd Rundgren produced album to me. He's got, especially at that time, he's got a kind of a stamp. It's sort of this rock music with um, touches of technology and like blossoming, um, you know, some electronic uh, flourishes here and there, but nothing that's overwhelming anything. It reminds me a little bit of like the Tubes album, Remote Control, that he did around the same time. He has a sound, and your third album is very much a part of his sound. And he was on fire right around that time. I think oh, he was. Yeah. yeah, he was. And we, we didn't have a whole lot of time to record that album. We we came off the road, and, you know, the management and the record company said, go do an album right now. Um, and it was middle of winter. And they said, well, who do you want to produce? And we said, well, you know, it could be, you know, any of these following people. And Todd was obviously mm-hmm. those. So Todd was available for about two or three weeks. Uh, he was he was recording um, Utopia at the same time um, that we were in Bearsville. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. So we drove from Boston to Bearsville. We took all our gear. We and there we are in in some little barn. <laughs> was one of those jet heaters. Uh-huh. <laughs> in the winter, freezing our balls off. And right. so in walks in walks Todd, and you know every day he. In pre-production, he came into the studio, uh, into the little barn with the jet engine, um, and worked with us for four or five hours. He said, yeah, that's cool. That that song's great. Yeah, we'll be able to work that out. You know, and we said, here's a riff that we don't have any lyrics to. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said, no problem. We'll come up with something in the studio. And that ended up being the song L5. Way Bill of the Tubes 
recently, and he was telling me about, I don't know if you're even familiar with their album, Remote Control, that Todd did about a year or two before he did your album. But anyway, he was, C was saying the same thing, that he went in uh, not really having songs or a plan for this Todd album, and they wrote the whole thing in the, in the studio. And I'm curious about if there's something specific about Todd's work ethic or personality that inspires that kind of spontaneous creativity in the moment. Or is, I don't, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's coincidence. I really don't know. No, he's, he's, you know, um, th that, that, that ability is, is within his genes. He just, mm. he just, that's who he is. Okay. And, um, and we saw that all throughout that two or three week project where he was coming up with, you know, string lines and, and guitar yeah. solo and things like that and ideas that were just, you know, very pertinent to uh -huh. what the needed and he said you know do this and it was i'm not going to say it was mechanical because obviously it's, it's sure. emotional he's, he's involved so much in his music but but it's almost like second nature and and i get that after having done this for so long i feel like sometimes i'm on autopilot as well i'm not comparing myself to todd by any means no i get what you mean sure <laughs> but he's he's a genius but yeah. after you do this for so long when you're in a you know a recording situation um, yeah. you're working with somebody and you go, yeah, let's just, let's do this. and Let's see what this right. sounds like. And you give them the idea. And if it comes to fruition, if it, if it cooks, if it, if it, if it makes sense in the song, you go, okay, yeah, let's do that. And okay. Todd was, Todd was just able to do that in a moment's notice. And that's, huh. that's genius. That's why we yeah, wanted to work with it. It really is. I only, okay. I, I only wish we had two months to record an album with him. Yeah. Instead, yeah. Two weeks, because if we had, oh my God, it would have just been insane. Good, good. How much, uh, how much like post-recording doctoring does Todd put into an album? When you, I'm, I'm envisioning you guys have recorded all your songs, they are what they are, and he says that's a wrap. And you guys go out on tour, and then he fiddles with, you know, knobs and twirls things for a few months, and then it's done. Was there a lot of kind of post-recording doctoring going on? Uh, no. Or, no. Okay, so that's happening in real time with him. In the yeah, I mean, after we left, okay. he, mixed, he mixed the album probably within a week, and it was done. Oh, wow. It was, it was sent to the label, and sent me a test pressing, and, okay. uh, and that was it. Okay, and, okay. You know, I wish we would have had that opportunity. Yeah. You know? Because he's so good. great. I mean, when you listen back to the album, do you do you feel like there's something missing there? Because I love that album. That's probably my second favorite of yours. No, I don't. I mean, I I understand where you're coming from, and and the fans that that comment on that album, um, uh -huh. you know, I appreciate all of that. I just I just know having could have been, been, a, been a fan. Well, I don't know if it could have been better or could have been different. Okay. Uh, and and maybe there, there could have been more. More of something. I don't know. Yeah. But maybe, okay. maybe, okay. maybe it's just what it is because that's what it what it was. You know, yeah. maybe it, yeah. maybe they needed two weeks to record it because the band was tight and the songs were done and yeah. you know that okay. was what it was. Okay, I should say for anyone listening, I keep referring to it as that album. It's called Walking Wild. In case anyone's listening who's not fully versed on New England, anyway. Uh, when uh, I had mentioned that uh, Michael Talker, I hope that's his last name. Am I saying it right? I love that guy. 
Oh, good, 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 good. Okay, so one of my uh, all-time best friends. I love that guy. Really? Oh, great. So Michael is the guy. Michael contacted me after listening. I don't know if you know who Hilly Michaels is. I, yeah. Uh, okay, I had Hilly on recently, and Michael heard it, and he contacted me and said, "If you like people like Hilly, you should talk to Hirsch because he's full of great stories." And he mentioned really? specifically Todd Rundgren. I don't know if you have one particular Todd Rundgren story that you like to tell or if it's just a general kind of experiential, you know, conversation. But what can you tell me about Todd? How about a funny one? Oh, good. Yeah. Which, Anything. Which isn't too funny when it happens. So we're, driving, we're driving from Boston to, to Bearsville. And, of course, uh-huh. Bearsville, Bearsville to us was like this, like, you know, like this godlike, you know, area that, that with Todd Rundgren and Bearsville Studios and Utopia and uh-huh. and Mink Hollow Road. You know, I saw this album cover and lived with it. So anyway, so we're driving down, uh, you know, State Route, whatever it was, and we and 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 the directions were and turn right on Mink Hollow Road, and it's like you got to be shitting me. That's the <laughs> so all of a sudden we slow down and here we are in upstate New York. We had just gone to Bearsville, north of the north of the town, and there's the street sign that says Mink Hollow Road, and we're we're like flipping out because we're such huge Todd fans. Sure. We we take a right on Mink Hollow Road, and Mink Hollow Road is a fairly thin two lane road with ditches on either side, and it's the middle of winter, and so we're driving down Mink Hollow Road for a mile or two, and we're doing about forty miles an hour, and you know all of a sudden this this you know car is coming towards us, and we oh shit, now we're over. Uh, it's a pretty thin road, so we pull over, and this car's coming at us, and we're coming at this car. And, um, <laughs> so the other car, the other car goes in the ditch. <laughs> so, we're, so we're nice guys. We go, oh man, we got to help this guy out of the ditch. So we pull over, right. walk back to this. Um, what the hell was it? It was like um, like an early Fairlane SUV style station. Oh. Interesting. Type. Um, and it was Todd. Oh really? <laughs> we drove Todd into the ditch. Nice. <laughs> so that was our that was our first meeting with our with our awesome. producer. Yeah, you better get out and help Todd out of the ditch, right? <laughs> oh man. Sure. Uh, okay. Another another great story. This is just this is just blew my mind. So we were we were in the studio at Utopia, which is the studio at Todd's home. He's got he's got a you know gorgeous beautiful house up on the hill, mm-hmm. and a hundred yards away there's this other sort of you know two or three room barn type affair, and so the, the upstairs was the uh, was the actual control room, and the downstairs was where you set up the drums. So they they were doing some guitar overdubs upstairs, and I think Gary and I were just hanging around downstairs. You know we're we're, we're rockers, we're nosy guys, we're looking around opening up doors and drawers and shit like that. So so we open up this one door, and there's a water heater in this mm-hmm. little room. And leaning up against this water heater is this guitar, this Gibson SG. And this Gibson SG is painted all these really crazy freaking colors. It's got all these, like, you know, designs uh-huh. and pictures of the moon and the sun and the stars. and And it happened to be... Todd's guitar that he bought from Eric Clapton, which was no. the which was the Clapton SG no that way. everybody in the world now knows about what this guitar is. Yeah. Uh, and and there it was leaning up against a water heater. No way. 
Todd's in Todd's studio. So um, wow. I think Gary. I think Gary Shea's got a picture of it, but didn't that guitar get sold recently for like you know two million dollars or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Oh my God, you were there. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's why oh, I say it's come. You know, like the Forrest Gump of rock and roll. I mean, yeah. count. Yeah. All these things wow. that were just fun, fun things that happened. So yeah, I'm a pretty lucky guy. Pretty lucky guy. Yeah. Okay. So let's we got we got let's talk about kind of the downside of some of this because. Even though some of the greatest minds in rock at that time are working to make you successful, you reach a level of success, but it's not like it's not massive. And right. unfortunately, it gets smaller as the albums go on. There's only three, and each one gets less successful. Even though these great, you know, Mike Stone and Bill Coin and Paul and Todd and everybody are working for you, are you when? I guess what I'm wondering is when your first album comes out and you have one top 40 hit and you're probably thinking, this is great, we can build on this, this is step one of the process, the next one's going to be bigger and then bigger and bigger, but that it goes in reverse. How are you handling this emotionally? What are you feeling well, as you're watching your career not take off the way that you thought it would? Well, I guess, you know, desperation at some points. It's like, really? Okay. What, what the fuck? I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah. we got all this stuff going for us, and we're really, really a great band, and, you yeah. know, we really play well, and we, and we practiced, you know, 24 hours a day for, like, years to, to make this yeah. happen. You know, it was, um, I mean, it eventually broke the band up, and we all just kind of, like, decided, okay, well, this isn't happening. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we should be doing something else, and it was like, uh, you know, but there were a series of, of events that happened along the way that were, you know, telltale signs that this isn't mm -hmm. going well. Um, you know, Ronald Luxemburg was the head of Infinity Records, which was a subsidiary of MCA. We were on that label. Um, Ron got $24 million to start this label, and then all of a sudden, you know, the label started to – well, they spent all their money. I don't know what they spent it on, but spent all their money. And yeah. then – they signed the Pope to a record deal, which I oh. guess they think that was kind of cool. <laughs> uh, and, and shortly, shortly after that, um, we got we were in the studio doing Explorer Suite with Mike Stone in Boston, and we decided to record the album at home in Boston because we were aware that recording in New York, L.A., and London, it just ended up costing us like yeah. you know, probably like a million bucks to record right. the first album, we don't need to do that. we got a studio right down the street that's just as good as any of those places. Sure. So we're in the studio, we're doing the album, and we get a phone call, and, hey, guys, the record label folded. Mm. What? Yeah. Um, so bad news, but the good news is we're, we're aligned with Bill O'Coin, O'Coin Management, you know, big management company. Don't worry, guys, we're going to get another record deal and we'll release the second album. Well, I guess, you know, they... So uh, I remember Sid Scheinberg, who was the head of MCA, was really into the band, even though we were like on the subsidiary label. He invited mm -hmm. us up to play for a meeting, and he said, "Listen, uh, you know we've got the best distribution in the world. We want your, you know, we'd love you to stay with our label, and you know, offer you a deal." And um, and we thought, okay, well this is cool. Now at the same yeah. time, you know, Bill and Rick. Uh, had had an agenda of their own. Um, uh, and I, I had to assume that there was publishing money to be had, okay. you know, 
we were signed to a production deal with O'Coin, which in effect they were the record company. So whatever money was going to change hands, it would all go to them, and then some of that may filter back to the band, but probably not. Yeah. So you know maybe they had some type of a side deal going, and because uh, Rick used to work for Electra Records. And so they said, well, maybe we should be on Ultra Record because you'll be on Warner Brothers and, you know, they've got huge distribution and blah, blah, blah. So right. it, ended up, it ended up that we were on, we ended up on Electra Records. But the album was forestalled for many, many, many months. And the fact is, is when we, if we, if we released the album in time, Explorer Suite, we would have still had all of our base fans that just saw us. Really? Split. I wondered about that. With ACDC, Journey, Kiss, Kansas, Cheap Trick, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Mellon Camp, all these bands that we played with, we would have still had that huge fan base. Yeah. But it took so long for the second album to come out. And in the meantime, Elvis Costello came out. Uh, and the Clash, okay. the Clash came out. And the Ramones came out. So music took this dive bomb change, the mm-hmm. same thing that happened when grunge took over from, you know, pop metal. Yeah. Um, and by the time our album came out, nobody really gave a shit. I mean, it was like, mm. we even wrote a couple of songs on our album that were kind of that, like that punky type of, you know, you know, feel, like conversation yeah. on the album was yeah. kind of like that straight four on the bass drum, you know, poppy, punky type feel.
the satin skies Your call is overdue You're so far away Will I ever get this through? Hey now, you've been gone so long I'm the first. 
first person to say that John is is a little difficult. Yes, uh, that's what he's known for, absolutely. And, um, <laughs> so we're on the road, and they put us with this, um, you know, Mellencamp guy, and um, so we're out there in uh, Midwest, maybe um, Dayton, Ohio, or something like that, and we're playing this really cool club. It's probably like a five, 600-seater, and Mellencamp was just kind of like getting his legs in mm-hmm. Um and so, so we we get to this club, and and our our dressing room had the bathroom, but no mm-hmm. mirror, and his dressing room had the mirror, but no bathroom. <laughs> so, I guess we played a couple of dates with these guys, they, they, and they screwed us on our sound check. They wouldn't let us do a sound check, and and they were just being like really real assholes to us. They, they uh-huh. the road. Uh, and I guess this uh, this is all because they knew that O'Coin managed us, and they were kicked off the Kiss tour just prior to joining us with, with up with us. So they had a they had a thing with KISS and O Coin and whatever. So they took it out on us. And yeah, mm-hmm. we're the nicest guys in the world. And we, okay. we were just there to have fun and play music. But you know, one thing that we always say is, is don't fuck with us. Right. Because we're from Boston and we're badass and we'll kick your ass. So so these guys Good. these guys were messing with us the whole time. And at the end, so we did our set. At the end of our set, you know, we're up in the dressing room, and I'm, I got my, I got my bottle of Southern Comfort, and I'm just sitting there, you know, having, having a good time. And sure, relax. All of a sudden, these five guys come barging into our room. Hey, man, we got to use the bathroom. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so I just stood up, and I'm ready to go. Uh-huh. And you know, I'm, I'm feeling no pain. So I went after Mellencamp with my bottle of Jack of uh, Southern Comfort. Really? And just before. Just before I hit him in the head, somebody grabbed my arm because I would have killed him. And and so you know, and I guess the press were there for my circus magazine and Rolling Stone, and and so there were big articles about this brouhaha that we, you uh-huh. know, with, and somebody said, you know, the drummer with forty pounds of hair went after little John. <laughs> oh man, you almost got into it with Mellencamp. So now here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Yeah. Well, 25 years later, I bumped into Kenny Aronoff. Uh-huh. And Kenny is like the sweet little Kenny, the drummer, right? He's just yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Kenny is the sweetest guy in the world. And at this point, probably the, the most well-known, successful drummer on the planet. Yeah. So Kenny and I bump into each other. And he, he looks at me and goes, Man, I know you. You look so familiar. I said, "Oh yeah, you know me." <laughs> so I, so you know, I'm. I think that Kenny probably, you know, may have some feel. I don't want to speak for somebody else, but sure, sure. But put it this way: when I told Kenny the story, he laughed his ass off. Good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And and we're 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 now forever bros for life. Good. Good. Because, he understood the whole thing. He said, yeah. I remember that night. He said, that was mayhem. So, oh, my gosh. There's your, there's your, there's your little Johnny Mellencamp nice. story. Oh, I love it. I love it. Cool. <laughs> so um, so now when the band, I mean, you're like you mentioned, it, I think you called it desperation earlier as you're watching New England not take off the way that you had hoped, even though all this, you know, work and effort's being put into it. What's that like when you – um? Because it sounds like the four of you guys get along great. You're still friends. Yep. I, you can, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't get the impression there's too much internal drama. And if there is, it's tied to not being more successful, not because nobody likes
So what's that exactly. like when you... Okay, good. So what's that like when you decide, you know, let's just call it quits? Was there no... And the thing that I find really interesting is you call it quits permanently. I mean, you play, you know, reunion shows once in a while, but it's been over for 35 years or so. Was there never any, you know, kind of temptation or offers to get back together and make it happen again, even on a smaller scale? Well, I think that there were probably a lot of good reasons for the for the, for the distance at the time that went by. We all got real busy with our own thing. We're talking about four oh. real talented people that yeah. could find could find their way separate of New England and be successful. Um, and so I let's see. Uh, so the band broke up, and then we and then Jimmy and Gary and I uh, were thinking, okay, okay, well maybe we can maybe we can put this thing back together. And that's when we got that call from um, from uh, Gene Simmons and Danny mm. Pizzi about Vinny Cassano. Mm -hmm. So we invited Vinny to come play with us. We mm -hmm. hit it off. We all went to the West Coast, put that together. But at the same time, we were rehearsing right next door to Kiss, and Vinny was writing songs for Kiss. Mm. And then they asked him to join the band. So Jimmy and Gary and I, there we are in L.A., um, like without a band again. So yeah. we tried to put something back together. John wanted to do a solo album and, and, and strike out and do some of his own stuff. And that was, mm -hmm. that was really cool. It's okay. You go do that. I was, I was producing records back then anyway. Okay. So I was, you know, I had my producing career uh, on the roll and was sure. actually doing quite, quite well and had done quite well with that. But so for the, for the moment, we all went to LA uh -huh. um, and the Vinnie Vincent thing, uh, which the band was actually called Warrior. And we were about oh, yeah. to get signed. Oh yeah, there's some great. I remember that. Yeah, you should listen to some of those bigger songs, man. They was yeah. they're amazing. And Vinny was a great songwriter, and he's got three of the best rock and roll guys to you know play those songs. With.
So there's so there's there's probably like a you know three or four or five years of of time okay. taken up in their lives. So your question is, you know, how about putting New England back together? Well, we those guys were busy doing Alcatraz. Yeah. Okay. And Hirsch comes back to Boston, and I ended up, um, you know, I won a bunch of awards, the Boston Music Awards Producer of the Year and the, the Boston Phoenix Best Pole Producer of the Year. And so, I mean, I was making really, I was making a living doing music production. Good, Good. okay. And, you know, I had my little studio down in Braintree, and I had another studio up in Burlington, Massachusetts, and I kept real real busy and made a name for myself doing that. Good. So, um so that's kind of like, you know, what happened over those years. And then um, I also started a record label with um, my best friend, Gary Boris, mm-hmm. who lives in – and Gary and I have a, a label called GB Music. And, you know, we've been releasing stuff for years on that label. Uh, like, uh, And a lot of a lot of reissues, like 707. Yeah. Um, oh, I had Kevin Russell on recently from Kevin Russell, yeah. Yeah, Love he's great. Guys. He's the best. Um, Kerry Baker, Under Fire. We did a, an album with Ginger Baker, the Baker Gerbitz Army. Nice. Uh, Marky and uh, Dee Dee Ramone from the Ramones yeah. had a band called The Remains, the Remains. Which, I, which I produced. And uh, I'll tell you, that was that was a thrill. Um, we did uh, Wasn't your last New England show ever opening for the Ramones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Well, it was great. The audience is spitting on us, and yeah, and, you know we're we're doing our melodic classic rock, and, and I know all these kids wanted was just like you know. Of give course, us they don't necessarily go together, but still, it's a cool story. Well, so you're, I mean, so the day after, I'm, I'm always curious about the transitions in people's careers. So New England comes to an end, and in some for some people, that next morning when they wake up, it's like, what do I do now? Now I got to find a way to pay my bills for the rest of my life. But you had this other career uh, in production already blossoming, and that just became the first career, and it's right. been riding ever since. I think yeah. it's really interesting that you still make a living predominantly in music when there's no, there's not any money in music anymore. That's what we keep hearing, you know. But are you still producing artists, and you know, you make enough. You, you do well enough with the GB records and everything, the reissues and stuff, to continue to do it and pay your bills and be okay? Well, yes. The answer to that is yes, I've been doing very well with my music, and I've spent a lot of time in the last year putting together my newest solo album.
I am also, I've also been in music retail for years. Oh, and okay. I've been involved with uh, the company Guitar Center um, for a long time now. And, I mean, that's just, uh, you know, wonderful people, great people. I mean, every day I get to meet and talk to people and I can, you know, because of my background of knowledge and product knowledge when it comes to just about anything. I mean, recording, yeah. you know, instrumentation, microphones, drums, guitars, amplifiers. I mean, I got, I own everything that is out there. Right. So when somebody comes to me with like, hey, what do I do? I need a so-and-so, you know, they can rely on my my background and knowledge to, to, to point them in the right direction. Right. Okay. And, um, and they end up getting products that, you know, help, you know, help them continue with their artistic career. Right. Because obviously we need the tools. And yeah. uh, I've got really uh, great sure. knowledge when it comes to, like, providing people with that. Okay. So, so you work in a guitar center, too? I manage like, full time. Yeah. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. And that's a full-time gig, too, on top of these other things, I'm guessing, right? Oh, yeah, my life goes like this. Six o'clock in the morning, I get up, and I work till 5 or 6 o'clock at night. Then I come to the studio, and I work in the studio about 11 o'clock, uh, 12 o'clock. Then I go home. Um, I've got my studio at home for my days off. Uh-huh. So I can work there as well. Um, and um, oh, you know, I'm, working, I'm working with um, some some other producers. Um, Ulf Kilta is a, a, a good buddy of mine. As a matter of fact, he's sitting right behind me now. And okay. he's, he's working with um, a, a, a young 21-year-old superstar, Tai Young. Uh, oh. Tai Young, right? Tai. Tai, yeah. And um, did I get that correct? Tim Wilson? Oh God, where did I get young from? Tay Wilson. Um, but I mean, the stuff that he's doing is just—you yeah. know—it's—it's it's amazing. I mean, the production that these young producers uh, are coming up with just just blow my mind. I mean, I sit here and watch—you know—watch him work. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and it's funny. The, the other day, we actually just co-wrote our first song together, which is um, which is just amazing. It's, it's right. a great new. Hopefully that'll make it on the album. Cool. So, uh, so when you yeah, work on new music like this, what's your what's your hope and expectations? I mean, I think I'm guessing someone who came up in the music industry when you did, when it was healthy and huge. Now, I mean, you know better than anyone what the current situation with the music industry is. Do you do this because you're an artist and you feel you have something to say, and it's important to you to have a kind of a document of that creative burst out in the world for anyone who wants it? Or, you know, what are your hopes and dreams, your expectations when you put out an, a physical album at this stage in your life? Well, th that is that is very much a part of it. You know, the hopes okay. and dreams, and you're always you're always looking to write that next, you know, yeah. top ten. You know, and sure. uh, you know, there's a lot of venues for music these days, whether it's advertising, whether it's movies, whether it's a, you know a hit single on the radio, or whether you just like. You know, write a song and you put it on iTunes, and people know right. who her start was. And so, if a, a thousand people buy that song, well, that's fantastic. You know, that, that, yeah. that's that's a win for me. If it's right. you know, if it's not, if it's not a number one top ten hit single, well, that's okay too. Yeah. But it's um, what do I? Why do I do this? Because I because I love it. It's part of yeah. it's part of the um, it's part of the fabric of who I am. You know, I, yeah, I believe it. I, you know, I gotta I gotta get up every day, and I gotta. You know, play a drum track for a song, or pick up a guitar and and write a song playing guitar. I mean, I was never a multi instrumentalist, but over the years, 
you know, I, I sort of forced myself to, you know, play piano, play bass, play sure. guitar, and I'm not very good at any of them, but I can sit in the studio good enough, right? And, and come up with a new song and have a real guitar player come in and go, hey, man, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think right. you should do? And right. But it's it's fun. Um, is, it a, is it a hobby of sorts? Yeah, sure it is. Um, is it a is it a passion? Absolutely. Am I going to yeah. make some money with it? Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. going to make some money with it one way or another. Good. Okay. That's great. So when's this new? I mean, is there a timeline for this new album? Um, soon. Okay. <laughs> we're um, we're shopping deals uh, right now. Well, we're we're definitely going to release it on our own label here in the States. It's distributed by Sony Red. So we we, we have a okay. deal here. Um, and um, a, a good uh, a good buddy of mine is, is shopping the tape. Uh, shopping the tape, that's an old, old phrase. Right. I know. Uh, yeah, shopping the tape in Europe and Japan. So we're expecting okay. to hear back from uh, those guys. We actually already have interest in Europe to, to release it. Uh, but we're waiting to hear for, from some other labels. So, okay. um, and I'm still... I'm st- I'm still sitting here like I am today, still writing songs right. that could potentially make it on the album. I've got enough for the album right now, but that's wild. Just keep we just keep working it, man. Yeah. Are there any? Um, I think there's always. It always seems like there's a rumor going around that New England might record new music or might play more reunion shows or whatever. I mean, I gotta ask: Is there anything on the on the calendar for the next for the near future anyway for you guys? Well, we did the shows. Uh, in Japan, and right. so we did, so we did two dates in November and that's one right. day now. Yep. Okay. End of last year. And, that's right. And then two dates in Japan, and then after that, Jimmy and Jimmy actually uh, started a play with the Graham Bunn. Oh, and, right, right, right. He's with that. Well, okay. And and so now what what they're doing is they're doing the Graham Bonnet show, but they're also bringing Gary Shea along and. So he takes the place of Graham's girlfriend, who's the bass player in the Graham Bonnet band, and then they do a bunch of they do a bunch of Alcatraz songs. So it's basically, you know, Graham Bonnet Alcatraz. So that's basically making Jimmy and Gary not real available yeah. for the next six months or so. So we're got it. you know, so I've got my album project. I got this going and I'm gonna go, okay, I, I need I need time to do this. Yeah. And those guys are doing that. If it comes up and somebody offers us a gig and it's definitely something that we want to do, uh, we would definitely do it. As far as writing new New, new England songs, um, that's on John's plate. And if okay. he wants to, if he wants to bring something to the party and have us play, you know, we'll we'll do that. And, okay. But that's kind okay. of where we're at. Cool. Okay. So you gotta, I mean, you gotta tell me. Um, you know, I always try to end these things with. I want to know what someone's biggest regret is, and then I also want to know just what their most unbelievable story is. Their I can't believe this happened to me thing. Do you have any regrets? I mean, is there one thing? And I don't mean, I mean something that may be a choice that you made or something that happened to you, the butterfly effect where, you know, if this one thing had just bounced a little different, things would have changed or been on a different course that might have been better. Is there one of those things? And then just when you sit back and you look back on your career and you just think, I can't believe that happened to me, what is that uh, thing? Um, well, let's see. Well, you know what? Really no regrets. Um, a, a little um, a little disappointed. Uh, a friend of mine uh, who's a musician that I played with, um, 
And her name is Dolly Ryan. Do Dolly once said to me, she said, Hirsch, you, you can't be depressed or bummed out about your career. It's like, I know, I, you know, I, you, how many people get to play at Madison Square Garden? How many people get to be on, you know, on TV and in Japan yeah. and Europe? And, and she said, you know, you're, you're like the, the top, like, 0.1% of people that right. actually got to do that. So she kind of, like, slapped me around and put and made, made, you know, put it in perspective when I was, you know, a little bit depressed and cynical about the music. Uh -huh. and, but, um... So I, I don't, I don't really think that there's any regrets. I mean, I just, I just, I'm like the ever ready bunny man. I just, yeah. you, know, you know, the battery oh. runs out, and yeah, you know, I put a new battery in and just get yeah. okay. Well, let's do something else. Good. Um, and and what would have been different? Um, well, I had a a friend of mine was the keyboard player for Eddie Money. Oh. And um, and Eddie was playing in Boston. And this friend of mine says, hey, Hirsch, you know, I want you to come to the show. I said, okay, cool. And and then he also told me in a, a, a subsequent conversation, yeah, the drummer, the drummer's that's his last show of the gig. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, he's, he's leaving and he's going to go join Hall and & Oates or something. And, and um, okay. so I, I went to the show that night and, you know, I, I was backstage and I was, when they did the sound check, I was just going to go up and sit down on the drums and I say, hey guys, I hear you're looking for a drummer. Let's go. Uh -huh. And 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 we both know. I mean, my 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 friend, my friend, the keyboard. We we both know that I would have got the gig. Yeah. Um, maybe not because I was a great drummer, but maybe because just out of their desperation as well. Sure, they, right place, right time. They didn't have a drummer the next the next night, <laughs> so, the, wow. so they would drag me along. And something something might have happened. So that yeah. may have changed. Obviously, that would have changed the course of history, right? Sure, sure. But uh, I think there's I think that there's probably been, you know, a million opportunities that have come along. That, you know, I chose the route that I chose. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm very successful doing what I do. Sure. Um, and uh, you know, I've got a great family. I've got my 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 two kids, my two girls that are. Um, you know, grown up now, and they're doing yeah. fantastic. My daughter, my eldest daughter's uh, in music. She's a vocalist, singer-songwriter. She's amazing. And uh, my youngest daughter is also, you know, a, a dance instructor, and she's nice. very, very. So it's like, hey, you know, um, I'm I'm doing what I love to do, and that's good. that's a good thing. Good, good. Sounds like success to me, man. That's what it's all about. If you can do yeah. what you love and pay your bills, I don't know what else there is. You know what I mean? If I, can say anything, can do that. if I can say anything to any other musicians, I mean, you go through those periods. If, if, listen, man, if you're really committed to being a musician and, and not screwing around with all this other crap that's going on, going around and, and staying right in that center line and, de and devoting your life to music, just keep doing music. Yeah. Keep getting better at what you do. Learn how to play another instrument. Write a song every day. Just yeah. do something that keeps you involved and you'll find some success with it. Yeah, agreed. I agree. Oh, I just remembered, before I let you go, two more questions. Number one, was Jimmy Waldo really the uh, inspiration for Where's Waldo? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I read that somewhere. Maybe it was on your Wikipedia page or something like that, where, you know, we don't know that that's always true. But I read that somewhere, and I thought, that can't be true. That's so obscure. Okay. Okay. Secondly, 
Michael Tucker may, uh, asked me to ask you about your Ludwig and I never know how to say Zildjian. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Uh, endorsements, but there are some crazy stories behind those. Oh man. Well, uh, you know, I was a top forty, you know, drummer in 
Carmine and Vinny Apathy. Oh. And, hey, how you guys doing? Of course, I knew Carmine from before, so I was like, hey, Carmine, how you doing? Uh-huh. And in the corner, like, you know, squished over in the corner, you know, smoking a cigarette or whatever he was smoking. Uh-huh. Bill says, nurse, this is, this is uh, Ginger Baker. Whoa. <laughs> what? And I was like, are you kidding me? She goes, so here I am in the car going to dinner with those guys. It's like, no oh, man. Way. Yeah, so it was cool. It was, wow. it was some wow. really good times. Good. Well, I'm glad, man. Thank you for talking to me. I just want you to know you put a lot of good work out into this world, and it makes a lot of us very happy. And so thank you for your artistry and for what you do and for continuing on, because people like you, they make people's lives better. The, the people who love you and what you do, you bring something to our lives that we wouldn't get otherwise. So thank you for being the person that you are, and thank you for well, talking to me. Wow, thanks a lot, man. I, I appreciate it. Well, listen, hopefully we'll bump into each other at some point. Hopefully. We can sit down and have a beer. I would love it. There you have it, Hirsch Gardner. I hope you like that. I like those stories. I especially like the Mellencamp story. I, I love Mellencamp, but I love more the idea that Hirsch was going to teach him a lesson and that he was going to get his. That is hilarious because you know Mellencamp deserves it. Um, I hope you heard some stuff in here that you liked. If you aren't familiar with New England, they're absolutely worth your time. Like I said, there's only three albums. You can get them on iTunes. Not the easiest to find on Amazon in hard copies. So check them out. Uh, I'm going to close it out here with another song off that first album. It's called P-U-N-K, Punk. It got some radio play back in the day, but it wasn't a hit or anything. But you may or may not know it. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking to titans of 70s soft rock. So I hope you'll come back and check those out. Let me know if you have an idea who those might be. Huge thanks this week to the OG, Aaron Syrett, filling in for Yan, the man, this week. Yan was on vacation. And so Aaron stepped in, helped us out. Thank you, Aaron, for everything that you do. Now, the business side, as you guys all know, you can find us on Facebook. You can like the page. You can send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Please, if you have not done already, why have you not written a review? Go into iTunes and write a review. If you listen with any regularity, come on, do that for us. Good or bad, I don't care. But go write a review, subscribe. If this is your first time joining us, go back into the archive, see if there's other stuff you like. We will see you next Tuesday. <laughs>